Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I am your host, Richard Kraus. Uh, come on in, curl up by the fireplace, take some of that chill off from outside. It's fall, it's getting a little chillier out. I love it. We love it around the House of Kraus. Gives us a reason to sit around, curate some of the conversations that we've had over the last little while and bring them to you. Today's show, we have Bruce McDonald and Chloe Rose. They are the director and star, respectively, of a movie called Hellions. Now, Chloe you might not be as familiar with, but she's a terrific young actress who plays a pregnant young girl who's home alone on Halloween, and that's really all you need to know about this movie. That's the premise, that's the setup. Oh, I forgot to mention demon children. That's really all you need to know about Hellions. Bruce McDonald is a, a, a stalwart of Canadian cinema. He's been around for a very long time. Hardcore Logo, one of the great Canadian films of all time. That's one of his. Highway 61, it goes on and on and on. I like Bruce a lot. I found this interview uh, really entertaining. We talk about Halloween, the idea of Halloween, and maybe how it pushed Bruce into the career that he has today. Also up, we have Robert Schnakenberg, and he is a guy who writes books. He's an author, maybe the first author we've had uh, over here at the House of Krause. His new book is called The Big Bad Book of Bill Murray, but he's written books about William Shatner, he's written books about Christopher Walken before. Uh, he is a pop culture historian, and he's come up with a really interesting take on the life, times, and career of Bill Murray. Also, I found it very cool that his father was the mailman for a really famous 20th century icon. So let's get to that interview. Here's my interview with the author of The Big Bad Book of Bill Murray. I've been doing some reading about you, and it strikes me that the, the kind of books that you're writing, these kind of critical appreciations, come from a longtime interest in history and uh, historical figures. Would that be accurate to say? I think that would be accurate. I mean, that's, that's kind of the approach that I've taken, the, the three A to Zs I've written, um, to be more uh, history books rather than, you know, puff pieces about celebrities. I really wanted to approach them from a sort of quasi or mock academic perspective and, and treat them as if they were historical artifacts rather than just you know, uh, pop culture icons. And I guess that goes back all the way to you working as a tour guide at the Walt Whitman Birthplace State Historic <laughs> Site, that kind of thing? Yes, you've, you've obviously done your research, <laughs> yes. I, uh, I was a tour, tour guide there for, for a summer during college. Uh, so yeah, I've always been interested in, in history and historical figures, and that's mostly what I've written about. So, um, you know, then I wrote a book about William Shatner in 1998 mm -hmm. called The Encyclopedia Shatnerica, and that sort of got me on the the pop culture ramp. And so I've, I've kind of been able to combine the two by, by doing you know, A to Z's about pop culture figures. And we'll, we'll talk about Bill Murray in just a sec, but is it true that your dad was the mailman for Louis Armstrong? Uh, he was, yeah. He worked, uh, he worked for the Postal Service back in the 50s, and... Uh, was a litter carrier in uh, Corona, Queens, where, where, where Louis' house is, still is, the museum now. And uh, he delivered uh, Louis Armstrong's mail and, and often saw Louis uh, hanging out his window, and Louis would wave to him and say, Hi, Mr. Mailman. And uh, sometimes Louis and his wife would invite my dad in for coffee. So uh, 
that's sort of uh, sort of my claim to fame that my, my father was Louis Armstrong's mailman. That's right. Maybe maybe that's the the real beginning of your ascent to writing about popular culture and kind of being involved in it a little bit. Is this this connection with Louis Armstrong? Yeah, I'm always sort of sort of lurking around the edges of famous people, so uh, <laughs> never never quite getting into the inner sanctum, but uh, somehow connected. Well, tell me about Bill Murray. He is. Uh, like remarkably private in the sense that he doesn't, I mean, he does some interviews, but they're generally jokey interviews, doesn't really reveal much about himself, it's from my estimation anyway. Uh, he has, you know, doesn't have an agent, all the stuff, the sort of pop culture legend about him. Um, he strikes me that he might have been a difficult subject to kind of get under the skin of. So I guess the first question would be, why Bill Murray? Well, we, as I said, we had, uh, I had done two previous agencies, one on Shatner and one on Christopher Walken. So uh, my editor and, I, editor and I were kind of looking around for a third person to round out the trilogy. I sort of had, you know, visions of a three-volume slipcase edition in my head. I wanted to do a third. So then it was like, well, who do we who do? We do? Who, who has a long career? Who has left a paper trail of interviews and profiles? Who has... Uh, an off-camera persona that's, you know, just as interesting as what they do on screen that would sort of be adaptable to the A to Z format that we'd used for the two previous books. So uh, Bill Murray came up pretty early on in our discussions about who we should do, and uh, we actually had the idea about five or six years ago, and it was just a question of uh, selling the idea to the sales force. At first they were, they were kind of leery that a Bill Murray book would sell, which kind of seems ludicrous now that his, his, his fame has sort of metastasized over the years and now that he's become, you know, more of a public, you know, prankster. What well, an icon party as well. And so yeah. Forth. yeah. So it took a while to sort of wear down the resistance of the salespeople, and then, and then finally it just clicked last year. I guess he just reached a point of, of saturation with all the viral videos going around that, that they just said, let's do the book now. And hopefully we're on the kind of the crest of the wave of his fame that's going to you know, conclude with the uh, the Christmas special he's doing at the end of the year. So, mm. and what is it about Bill Murray? Do you think that has keep, kept people interested for so long? Because, you know, I mean, 30 years ago we were going to see Bill Murray movies. 30 plus years ago we were watching him on Saturday Night Live. That is a long career, and. He is still, I think, probably more popular now than he was, as you just said. You know, than he than he was a number of years ago. Why do you think that's so? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the longevity is is a large part of it. I think um, his career kind of provides a lot of different entry points for people who want to get into him. So that if you came of age in the '70s, the way I did, you, you remember the Saturday Night Live version of Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. If you were you know, 13 in 1984, you probably think of him as Ghostbusters Bill Murray. And if you were a, like a proto-hipster in the 90s, your, your image is probably the guy in all the Wes Anderson movies. So, and now people know him as kind of the disheveled guy who crashes people's parties. So he's, he's, he's been constantly reinventing himself along the way, and there was never really a point where he went away and just made terrible movies for 10 years like Chevy Chase did. I mean, you know, a lot of classic acts in music like you know the stones or, or bob dylan reach a point where they, they kind of start to sound old and stale and then if they're lucky like dylan they come back and they get cool again but bill murray never had to come back because he, he never went away he was always cool he was just cool in different in different forms over the years what did you learn about him the book is is very detailed and there's all the the kind of uh um sort of interesting you know, tidbits, I would say, like things like uh, how he calls uh, the producer uh, Roadhouse. 
you know, Mitch Glazer every time it's on television and says, you know, your wife's having sex with Patrick Swayze right now, that kind of thing. There's all that stuff. Uh, but what did you learn about him that perhaps is something beyond just a story, you know, just beyond like a, a quirky uh, thing that he might do like that? What did you learn about him that, that surprised you? Uh, beyond just biographical facts, like the fact that he was pre-med in college, which I didn't know. Um, I mean, that, that was something that I say that was interesting to me because I hadn't known he wanted to be a doctor, specifically a doctor on a tropical island. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was surprised. I found that he was in a, a folk band in high school. He was in a, a folk trio called the Slick City Trio. And I was able to, you know, track that down, which I don't think a lot of people knew about. They knew he was in a rock band called the Dutch Masters, but the folk band was kind of new to me. Um, as far as just stuff about his persona, I, I think I was surprised to learn how far back some of these public apparitions go. I think we tend to think of the crashing parties and jumping into people's kickball games and showing up at people's karaoke rooms as, as kind of a recent phenomenon. People kind of attribute it to a midlife crisis. But uh, I was able to find out that this kind of behavior really goes back. I mean, even back in the 70s, he, was, he crashed, you know, Elvis Presley's funeral in 1977. So um, this is something that, that kind of has a philosophical underpinning for him, these, uh, these sort of weird encounters with ordinary people that, uh, you know, now we're sort of knowing about them more because they go viral with video and YouTube and Twitter and so forth. But he's actually been doing this for most of his life. We just didn't know about it before. Right, because not everyone had an iPhone with a camera on it before. Yeah, now, now if, you know, if Murray shows up at your party and does karaoke with you, you know, everybody there tweets about it the next day and posts photos and videos go all over the place. But back in the 70s, he was probably doing the same stuff, but we just didn't know about it. And for you, what's the defining Bill Murray? Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, I guess you kind of, it's kind of... You never forget your first. So, you know, my first Bill Murray was the guy on Saturday Night Live. So that's the first, you know, Bill Murray that I remember. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always kind of think of him first as that. Um, and then probably the, the mid-'90s sort of sad Wes Anderson Bill Murray would probably be my second Bill Murray because um, that was, you know, another formative period for me when I was just, you know, in my 20s and early 30s and kind of watching those movies. Uh, and that's when he kind of reinvented himself for another for a new generation. So those would be one and two, I think. Why do you think it is that Bill Murray has been able to transform from the comedian that we saw in Ghostbusters and Saturday Night Live and everything else to an actor that can pull off a movie like Get Low uh, right. and do more dramatic work when other people, and I think of you know Steve Martin and others who have tried to do more serious work. It doesn't seem to work for them as well. But with Bill Murray, we seem to accept it and 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 be drawn to it even. Well, I think he's made some. I think he's made good choices. I think he's been smart about things he's turned down. You know, like not doing Airplane very early in his yeah. career, so he didn't really get stuck in that rut of doing sort of lowbrow comedies when he easily could have. I mean, I think he took some you know, big chances early in his career. I mean, doing the Razor's Edge, you know, very early in his career, it was a flop, and uh, I don't think you gave a very good performance, but it was an audacious flop. Um, it was an attempt to stretch himself beyond what I think his abilities were at that time in his development as an actor, but it was so ballsy, and I think, uh, I think people recognized that, even if they didn't like the film, and I think, 
you know, in the 90s, people like Wes Anderson recognized his ability to do dramatic work and were able to, to utilize that, you know, because he had invested so much in it earlier in his career. So he didn't have, you know, really the difficulty that some of these other actors have in transitioning into dramatic roles. He, he had sort of already paved the ground for it. When you're putting a book like this together, uh, is it, are you knee deep in research material? Uh, it, you know, you're, you're, combing through old interviews, looking for the things that other people have missed. Uh, but what's the process? Uh, the process starts with, at the beginning, pretty much getting your hands on any interview, any magazine profile, any article, any book that mentions Bill Murray. Starting from there, um, plowing through them, picking out interesting facts and anecdotes that would be adaptable to the A to Z format. Mm -hmm. um, start there uh, sort of, to sort of get a ground in the basic biography. I watched every movie he ever made in chronological order um, to see his development as an actor and also to kind of think along with him and the kind of choices he was making and what kind of projects he was doing and not doing throughout the different periods. So that was very helpful to go, um, to go in order like that, all 52 films. Um, and then, you know, reaching out as much as I could to people who knew him, who had worked with him, uh, even though some of those, you know, emails proved fruitless, trying to get in touch with his lawyer and, uh, and his family members, you know, without, without seeming too stalkerish, <laughs> and uh, doing interviews with, uh, you know, people like Tom Schiller, who had worked with him on Saturday Night Live, and, uh, you know, I spoke to one of his sons, and, and some people who had had these sort of random encounters with him and was able to sort of generate a picture of him that way, even though I never, you know, got close to the man himself. I got, I got to enough people in his sort of peripheral orbit that I was able to get, a, get an idea of what he was like. Interesting. It might have been a different book had you gotten too close. Yeah, I mean, that's, close. you know, I, I, I'm happy that it's unauthorized. I mean, I would have, if I could have by some strike of lightning, been able to get him to be to participate and give me an interview or write a forward, uh, that would have been great. Um, I think I reached out to, to enough people close to him that I'm, I'm reasonably sure he probably knows that the book exists. Yeah. So I'm just happy that there was no cease and desist letter, you know, and, and if it was going to come, I wanted it to come early in the process so I wouldn't get too deep into the writing. But, um, yeah, that it would have been a totally different book. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the way it is because it's, it's balanced. It's not. It's not, um, and a work of you know hagiography. Mm -hmm. It's not worshipful. Um, I kind of I go through and rate all the movies and kind of give you an idea of you know whether something's worth checking out that you haven't seen before. Um, but yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not a slavish celebrity biography. It's 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 definitely even-handed. Everybody loves Bill Murray, and I think people are going to really like. The Big Bad Book of Bill Murray by Robert Schackenberg, my first guest over here at the House of Krauss. Now we have a doubleheader, Chloe Rose and Bruce McDonald together. There's a bit of background noise on this one. It was a busy day around the House of Krauss, the day that they were by. Uh, but we're talking about their movie, Hellions. Hellions is a devil baby movie. It is a home invasion movie. Like a lot of Canadian horror films, it takes a well-established premise, an idea, and turns it on its head. Think about Ginger Snaps being about werewolves, but it's not really about werewolves. In that film, they've linked it to kind of female coming of age. There's all sorts of examples of Canadian horror directors taking established premises 
and then just turning them around completely. And Bruce McDonald does that in Hellions. We talk about that a little bit. He tells us why Canadians are so keen on subverting the genre. And then we talk about Halloween. We talk about scary movies. We talk about all the kind of stuff that you're supposed to talk about leading up to October and Halloween. Here's my interview with Bruce McDonald and Chloe Rose. Bruce, I'll start with you. Canadians seem to have uh, an ability to take horror ideas and horror mythology and kind of turn it on its head. I think of movies like Ginger Snaps, uh, Pontypool, which is, you know, ostensibly a zombie movie that doesn't really have zombies mm -hmm. in it. Uh, and this movie does kind of the same thing with a, a, a teen horror fun. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to why that might be? Why we tend to like to subvert already established genres? I think uh, it's maybe two reasons. One is um, uh, perhaps Canadians are naturally mischievous and like to fuck with people. Uh, I think also is that we are so inf we have these great influences of these movies that we love. We grow up loving, and we want to do that too. And often, uh, and this is not uh, this is not an exception that the script by Pascal Trottier, uh, when I first read it, it it read easily like a 40-day shoot, $55 million movie. Uh, so I was like, yes, let's do that movie that we know and love, right? We know that movie, and we want to do it too. But then when you get the news that, oh, well, you only have 20 days, and you have less money, then there is no choice but to subvert and say, okay, we have to now begin with this uh, established premise and established kind of world that we sort of know, but we... Uh, suddenly we have to make some different kinds of choices. And it was in it's interesting because uh, this was a great example of that, where it was much, much more of an action picture, mm -hmm. in a sense, uh, but it was just like, well, uh, we... You need just time. It's not so much the money, it's just the time. You need time to make action often, yeah. you know, because, you know, it, a sequence will work much better in 25 shots than three shots right. sort of thing. So I think the practical, the practical nature of the kind of almost the handmade Canadian cinema, we don't have the big machine, but we do have some smart people and clever people and, you know, we know how to do it. So that I think that does create a spin on things that are familiar yeah. just because maybe that's the easy answer it's just well it's just a practical notion and it's necessity and, and necessity but you know there is that sort of you're outside the gates of Hollywood so when the parents are away you know yeah. the kids will play you that's know right. so there's a bit of that I think in, in Canadian in the Canadian psyche yeah Chloe were you a fan of these kinds of movies teen horror films and and Devil Baby movies. I'm thinking of The Brood. If you've ever <laughs> yeah, seen The, the Brood, Brood. Yeah, 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 man, totally. The Brood's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, I am a big fan of horror films. Uh, I think they're really fun, and um, but I'm also a scaredy cat, so I haven't seen a ton of them. Right. I uh, I'm more of like a group, like a certain time of year horror person, which is why like I mean this Halloween film was so such. I, 
I gravitated towards it because, I mean, watching a movie, a scary movie at Halloween time is such a, like, a kind of warm thing for me, you know, like, cozying up on the couch and being scared, right. so. Well, it feels right. It gets dark earlier. Yeah. Like, you know, like, sort of just as October starts to fully and all take the hold, it just feels right to watch scary movies. change color. Yeah. It's kind of spooky. I don't know. I like that time. It's great Bradbury time, you know, it instead of October country, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a fan of Halloween. I have loved Halloween more than any other, uh, what do you call them, holiday yeah. or festivity since yeah. I was as young, you know, young. And hey, I don't know. So. Well, you know, I've often thought about that and I think maybe growing up in a family that was in, in any way artistic or theater minded or writer minded, it was, you know, great teacher, family of teachers and educators. So, uh, if I do have a gene in me, a Mr. Entertainment gene or a kind of a theater gene, I think it was the fact that, that Halloween spoke to that, that kind of, of like, wow, we're dressing up, we're putting on sort of characters and shows and we're kind of performing. And also the, the tables are turned in Halloween. The adults are no longer in control and it's the kids that are in control, which I, you know, as a kid, you think that's good. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it was, you know, that kind of recognition, that was my first theater. I think that was my first way into this entertainment world that I love so much. And uh, maybe that was the first door that opened for me. It was Halloween. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's certainly the most theatrical, like, you know, certainly the most theatrical time of year when you're a kid and you get to actually uh, go out and be, you know, mischievous. Yeah. 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 I wasn't a Catholic. I didn't get to the ceremonies of the Catholic Church and the robes and the incense and the, yeah. and the priests and the visions of hell. So this was for a little Protestant kid from <laughs> the suburbs. That was, it was, Halloween was the best. Yeah. What were some of the challenges for you? Well, exactly. Actually, now that I think about it, I said last interview that it was the cold, but I think it was more the um, the energy level, keeping that up throughout the entire movie. I had never done anything where I was in every scene and they needed me. So when there was a shot where they did like a wide of a bunch of kids, I took that moment to go to my trailer and like get a 10 minute nap. Like right, right. that was the hardest thing. Um, but for the most part, I just really enjoyed the process. Um, getting to work so closely with everyone and having that time on set um, and, and getting to be there through the entire process. Usually you're there for a few days and then you go away for a few and you miss what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here I got to see it all evolve and all happen in front of my eyes and that was a great privilege. So with the challenges came great rewards. So I'm happy with the project. Let's talk a little bit about the, the, the creature design because they look to me, the little kids, the Hellions, look to me like something that you would see on a like a Halloween postcard from 1965. Like they had sort of a retro kind of well, it's very interesting feel to you the say costumes that. or something, right? There was a photographer that inspired us and I, I got to get the name of him, but when we were in pre-production somebody said, hey look at this and there was a guy that collected, he kind of went out in the world and he collected photographs from, you know, the 20s and the 60s yeah. and the 40s and and I guess picked about 40 that he thought were especially evocative and just unintentionally creepy. Yeah. Like you just look at them and you go, oh, this is just terrifying. But there's normal sort of suburban or 
country kids in their costume, their kind of homemade costumes. But see, that's the key, yeah. is their homemade costumes. Yeah. Yeah. If they were store-bought things, they'd be a little slicker, they'd be dead, but the, the homemade feel of them, for some reason, makes them scarier to yeah. me so, because you don't know where they've come. Like, there's just something, there's something yeah. more to it. Yeah, there's a kind of a handmade intent, and, there's, and also the idea that the characters themselves we it doesn't really I don't think it reads that much in the film but the original idea was that they were all sort of toys or dolls or kid things that she would have in her room right, right? right. that they would now her tipping now into sort of womanhood as being a pregnant no longer a kid that these kids are somehow that activates them it's very tricky when you go into the world of the supernatural and try to define logic. Yeah, we'll see. That's the thing, right? That's the thing. But this is where you sort of redevelop ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I thought of the of Brood while I was watching yeah. this. And yeah. Like, probably, the, if you haven't seen it, greatest devil kid movie ever. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> shot in Toronto. Uh, and, um, uh, but I thought of The Brood and just sort of, you know, the, the idea that there's these kids that are, are the Hellions, that, like the is even more terrifying because there's something about juxtaposing like the evil and the innocence together that just makes it even creepier. But wasn't the brood? Didn't I read somewhere that the brood was a result of a divorce? divorce yeah, yeah. The David Cronenberg was—he was the writer of the film as well, Paul yeah. Lynn. So his is about divorce. Ours is about being pregnant. Yeah. So it's funny these how your brain kind of can conjure up all this sort of terror from these very human, real-life events. Well, folks, that's it. You gotta get out of here. Maybe go see Hellions. The new Bruce McDonald, Chloe Rose movie is playing at a theater just around the corner from you. I'm sure it is. My thanks to my guests, the big bad book of Bill Murray author, Robert Schreckenberg, uh, Bruce McDonald and Chloe Rose, but most of all to you. You're the people that keep coming by every Monday. You're always welcome for a little while anyway, over here at the House of Krauss. And keep checking back. A new episode goes up every single Monday, and you never know who's going to stop by for a visit. <laughs>